Hey guys, welcome back to Check the Kick podcast found on SureDog.com. Glad you're back. I'm Devin, the host. And um, what a crazy card we're coming off of. UFC 290, incredible. International Fight Week. Um, UFC's been kind of slacking a little bit with International Fight Week, but man, they showed out. Um, during this episode, we're going to go over a couple choice fights that I picked um, to recap from that card, a current topic in MMA, and then I'm going to go ahead and pick three fights to kind of go over with odds and analysis. Um, getting started, Pantoja versus Moreno. Um, we have a new champion, Brazilian Pantoja, currently training out of American top team. Um, he went out there and had a razor close fight with Brandon Moreno. Um, I'd say probably three-fourths of the media scorecards gave it to Pantoja. Um, I did the recap show with Ben, one of my colleagues here, and he scored it for Moreno. I stopped scoring the fight, quite frankly, after the second round just because the fight was just so buck wild. I was standing up, pacing around my living room, screaming at the TV. Um, basically said flyweights are fucking awesome probably 50 times. Um, incredible fight between those two guys. Razor close again, opening in the opening first round. Moreno's looking really good with his jab. He's found his range. Pantoja just leaps in, cracks him with the hook, drops Moreno. They start a scramble. And I said this in the shirt dog slack, and I was just really surprised with Brandon Moreno's composure in those moments. He looked so good. Um, both guys looked really good. I would say... Moreno probably won 60 to 70% of the striking exchanges on the feet, probably closer to 70. Um, his jab was firing. He was, every time Pantoja would come in and crash the pocket, he'd kind of keep a high guard, but step forward and stab an elbow in, um, which is really, really awesome. I love that Brandon Moreno as a champion defending his belt. He's like still trying cool shit. Um, and that's something that a lot of the champions start to get away from. They just want to hold their belt, understandably. But Brandon Moreno um, looked great on the feet. Pantoja is something else, though. He's his durability is insane. He would look like he was going to start flagging towards the end, towards the end of the third and fourth round. He looked like he was flagging. He'd come in and just go in there and, and kick ass again. His his back takes, his body triangles. That's what really won him in this won him this fight. He he was able to hang in hang in the pocket. This fight primarily took place in the pocket. Um, and both of these guys were throwing bombs. Incredible fight. I feel like Moreno, even though Moreno lost, I still think he's probably the better fighter. Um, I just think he's number one. He, he's a really good rematch guy. I'm, I'm sure if they, if they were to decide to run this one back, he could probably figure out a way to win this. Um, I was surprised that I, I know Pantoja is a really high level grappler, but Brandon Moreno is a really good grappler too. And and there were moments where I thought he could have been, you know, sealing the deal and, and maybe trying to take Pantoja down before Pantoja were to try to take him down or cause grappling or try to take his back. Um, that's what really won Pantoja the fifth round. I actually scored. Said I didn't give a score, but I thought Pant. I thought Moreno won that fifth round. Um, I really do. I think the boxing that took place prior to the back take um, and the control and those you know 
few little clubbing shots from um, Pantoja. I think Moreno just did the better work in that round. I've only watched it back one more time. The fight was just crazy. I, it's one of those, there were so many things happened. It's almost hard to break down and give a recap and analysis on. If you guys are listening to this and you haven't seen UFC 290, first off, shame on you. And why are you even here? <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that card was just, just so good. Um, Pantoja's back take game. He may be the best, best back taker in the UFC, I put him right next to someone like Aljamain Sterling and Charles Oliveira when it comes to their back-taking game, and he's really, really good. Lightning quick, gets the body triangle. He, he even, you know, will switch the lock, and he wants to get that rear naked choke. That's his thing. Moreno hung tough. He had his back taken multiple times in this fight. Um, he also had some control time. The stats came out, and I think Pantoja had, like, over almost five minutes, and, and Moreno had, like, over two um, I never, I always take those stats that they release during the fight or right after the fight, like with a big grain of salt, because I don't think that really tells you much about the fight before the back take in the fifth round, the UFC had the significant strikes 18 to 18 tied. And I was like, well, I don't think we're watching the same thing then. Cause you guys are just clicking a button and counting. And I just don't think that's a good way to equate what actually happens. As it's not a good reflection of what actually went down. Um, either way, P- Pantoja is a good guy too. The crowd was booing him and stuff like that. And that kind of sucked because he, he's a dude that's, I read an article today. It's Monday, July 10th. The show will come out tomorrow on the 11th on Tuesday. But I read an article that two fights ago up into his Brandon Royvel fight when he moved his family from Brazil to Florida and he started to train at American Top Team, um, that he was still driving Uber. And his wife, I think she was like doing some custodial work. Nothing wrong with driving Uber and nothing wrong with doing custodial work. But this is the UFC champion and that was two fights ago. A little bit weird. Um, And he had a really good moment in the post fight where he said, you know, my, my mom raised me and my brother by herself. Are you proud of me now, dad? And he also said, if you guys knew my story, you'd like me. That's pretty big. He seems like a pretty down to earth dude. He, he, he's definitely, I mean, his, his nickname is the cannibal and he definitely fights like an animal. He relied on his chin. So Moreno hit him and snapped his head back with so many incredible shots in this fight. He busted him with a, with a elbow. He had stepped, he stepped in the pocket and threw an elbow up kind of around Pantoja's guard sliced him open. Um, and Moreno is a dude that's also durable, but Pantoja cracks. He's definitely not as clean of a striker as Moreno, but he's probably the harder puncher. Um, and he, he hurt Moreno multiple times, you know, put him on skates, dropped them in the first round of this one, going back to the action. And these scrambles were good. Moreno showed tons of composure. There was a moment in the first round where he got where they started to scramble after he got hit. And he was like, you know what? Let me just take my back. Let me take the guard. Let me slow things down. Let me make things kind of normal, which I thought was amazing. Um, Big shout out to both of those guys. If you want to hear a super in-depth recap on this fight, uh, Ben and I went into it. You can find it here on YouTube. We went over all the fights. Um, So shorter recap about that one, just because so much happened. Just go watch this fight. I mean, I'm going to watch it probably three more times this week. Incredible, incredible. Um, Shock of the night, 
probably biggest upset of the night, I think, uh, betting-wise. There's a couple other ones. Denise Gomez got a good win over Haragi, uh, but she's a pretty big underdog. But, man, Drikas Duplessis, Robert Whitaker. Drikas Duplessis knocks out TKO stoppage over Robert freaking Whitaker. Um, I watched this fight three times now. And I think I have a better understanding of Drikas's game than I ever have. I also think he's one of those dudes that is just really, really strong. And he, he clearly he looks like a he's giant. He's bricked up. He's huge. But I think he's even stronger than he leads on, like how he how being you would see him. Um he has a very, very awkward his striking is very, very awkward, but his range is good. His striking range is good. It's easy. He finds his jab. He found his jab with ease in this fight. It took him the first half of the first round to find his jab on Whitaker. His southpaw jab was lighting Whitaker up. His defensive range was great. His He, he did a lot of pillaring in this fight, and he had some shoulder rolling. He was kind of shoulder rolling and, and pillaring and blocking shots from Whitaker. Um, but he found his range kind of very quickly on Whitaker when it came to the striking. Um, again, his jab crushing Whitaker, that's what, you know, led to the finish here, but starting in the first round, you know, Whitaker cutting angles, popping, popping Drikas with the jab, Drikas staying pretty defensively sound. Um, I don't like that he was backing straight up, but he was kind of backing straight up and throwing his hands up to pillar, but it worked against Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker did not have a ton of successful offense on the feet. And there was a clear disparity in power. Like he, anytime he would hit Robert Whitaker, you could see, you would see Robert Whitaker physically be rattled and it would bounce him all the way back. Those shots from Duplessis just cracking and pushing him back. He was throwing a one, a one, two down, down the pipe jab and cross he was switching stance but most of his work um came out of the southpaw his footwork and the his body mechanics just look so weird when he strikes however his punching form is not bad his vision is not bad he seems extremely cerebral with what he's doing um towards the second round i can't believe this happened he, he got on he got like a headlock throw against robert whitaker um which Typically, it's like a Thor-level women's MMA thing. Um, but got the throw on Robert Whitaker. First, he got taken down by Robert Whitaker. And I was like, man, he's jumping on a guillotine. But he kind of re- used his power guillotine to reverse and escape. Um, got to a sip and escape from Whitaker after Whitaker took him down. Got up way faster than Izzy did or many other people that Whitaker's tried to wrestle. Um, Whitaker's a good wrestler, great grappler. Going back to the that like head and arm headlock throw, the way he was able to slice through and power through Robert Whitaker's guard and then start crushing him with elbows. If there was another 30, you know, 30 seconds, a minute left in that, if you would have been in that position past the guard and dropping elbows with a minute left, he probably would have finished him in the first round. He had Robert Whitaker all out of sorts. Second round starts. Drikas is is composed. 
Um, didn't look tired, didn't look gassed. Everybody says he has cardio issues. He got his nose fixed. Everybody knows that he got his nose fixed. Um, and his, he, he looked fine. I mean, to me, he's kind of always looked fine. He maybe more of like a mouth breathing guy, but whatever. Um, Robert Whitaker is winning, you know, most of the, most of the exchanges on the feet through the second round. But again, it looks like anytime Drikas hits him, it visibly moves him back. These look like big, powerful shots. You can hear them. You can hear the shots landing on Whitaker. And he kind of took advantage of what seemed to work in the Jared Cannonier fight where Jared Cannonier started finding that southpaw jab. Robert Whitaker does get hurt by jabs. Robert Whitaker might not be the most durable dude, but he's great. Super technical, second best middleweight, clearly one of the best middleweights ever as well. Drikas drops him with a power jab out of the southpaw. And this is the most impressive thing. This is why I say he's so cerebral. Drops him with the jab. Drikas notices that he's hurt. Instead of going crazy, crushes him with the leg kick. Crushes him with the leg kick. Robert Whitaker has to kind of switch stance after that leg kick, and then you could see that he's visibly hurt. Drikas then chases him down with a pretty sloppy, but what seemed pretty powerful combination, kind of just switching stance and, you know, throwing big hooks. He gets Robert Whitaker shelled against the shelled against the side of the octagon, and he digs a huge punch to the body. When he cracks him on the body, you could see that physically, physically like, start to drop and hurt Whitaker. He starts going toward a knee and then Drikas hits him with some more looping shots around the guard, kind of behind the ear, not to the back of the head, but you know, this part of the head and um, immediately drop them. Ref jumps in, um, saves Robert Whitaker and Drikas two plus he gets a second round TKO stoppage. Um, he doesn't do a ton of things really wrong. Like this fight, he looked fine. His, He's always had kind of suspect defense. He made a lot of weird decisions. I don't like him using that headlock, head and arm throw. But if he could do it to Robert Whitaker, I mean, he's not going to do it to Bo Nickel, obviously. But I don't see why he couldn't do it to Israel Adesanya. Um, Drikas just seems really big, really powerful. He seems to have good cardio. He's a finisher. And most importantly, he knows how to win fights. That's his thing. That's his biggest asset. He, you know, he he's the type of guy that can have the wrong tool and still get the job done. Um, and that's what he's done through his UFC career so far. But if you watch his tape against Derek Brunson, watch his tape against Darren Till, and then watch his fight against Robert Whitaker, he's clearly making improvements. Does he still look like he's swatting bees that are trying to sting him when he takes the back foot and someone's throwing more than two punch combinations at him sometimes, but was he very response defensively responsible in this fight? He was, did he get touched up in this fight? Not really. Some jabs, Robert Whitaker hit him with some clean jabs, but they didn't even seem to bother him. Maybe those bees would have been more of a bother. Um, he seemed durable. I, I've turned into leaf on Drikas Duplessis. Um, I, I will not go into the um, post-fight thing where they brought Israel into the cage and that whole thing went down. Um, I didn't love it, but that's it. That's all I got to say. Um, 
freaking awesome ass fight by those two. Drikas Duplessis is clearly the number one contender now after that whole thing went down. Um, I believe Dana White said in the post-fight press conference that they're going to try to make that match for Sydney. I think that's in like nine weeks or ten weeks. Um, so that's tight. But if Izzy wants the fight, I'm sure Drikas would not have an issue taking it. And after all of the things and outside of all of the bullshit with the issue that those two guys have that I don't want to talk about outside of all that shit. Drikas Duplessis, Justin TKO'd Robert Whitaker was ground and pound crushing him. And Whitaker, you could argue got saved by the bell in the first round and then went out there and outstruck him in the second round and TKO stopped him with strikes. Drikas Duplessis showed that he can out wrestle and out grapple someone like Robert Whitaker. And he also showed that he could outstrike someone like Robert Whitaker that should give you that should really excite you in a fight in a title fight um with him and Izzy that should be very exciting for any fans moving on to what would have been fight of the night and um it's not a spoiler but uh Pantoja and Moreno did get fight of the night I mean that's fight of the year um incredible that one was incredible um Hooker versus Turner this fight was also a freaking barn burner um Two top 15 lightweights. Um, Hooker was a big underdog in this fight. I think he was like plus 225. Um, And Hooker wins via split decision. And he paid for this win with a broken wrist, clearly, and also a broken orbital. Second round of this fight, probably going to go down as round of the year. One of the best rounds in MMA that you will watch if you have a friend that is not into MMA or doesn't know about MMA and you want them to like MMA and you only have five minutes of fighting to show them, show them the second round of this fight. First round starts Jalen Turner. Something I do want to mention before I break this down, Jalen Turner did miss weight. He missed the, he missed weight by two pounds. He missed championship weight by three pounds. However, non-championship bouts at lightweight in any division have a one pound allowance. So Turner came in at 158, two pounds over that one pound, two pounds over that one pound allowance. And Hooker made weight. I think Hooker weighed in at 155 and a half. They called this a catchweight bout. I do know that um, Turner forfeited 20% of his purse um, for the weight miss. Um, and and back to Hooker, what he paid for. He paid for this win with a broken wrist that's clear in an X-ray and another X-ray released a few hours ago. Um, I'm glad I waited kind of to the very end to record this because I was waiting on some uh, fight news that I won't drop because you guys will probably have already seen it. But um, I was just waiting. Um, picture released of Hooker's face, orbital bone, right here being broken because he blocked a kick with his face. Don't know how he didn't get knocked out by that. Incredible. First round starts. Jalen Turner comes out throwing his teep kick blasting hooker just kind of right in the bread basket. And I did break down this fight. I picked Jalen Turner to win this fight. Hooker looked way better than I expected, but he did kind of exactly what I expected him to. So I still feel I got the pick wrong, but I kind of got the fight. I got Turner's part of the fight, right? Um, didn't account for the freaking weight miss though. Um, the body kicks were just kind of eating hooker alive. He was using them to find range. I love that he throws those body kicks 
without fear of any wrestling coming back, even though he doesn't have the best takedown defense. He's six foot three and, you know, mostly legs. Anyway, he still throws that teep kick up the middle. And I think his thing is, well, you know, cool. Try to take me down, but you're going to eat four of these. I mean, you're going to eat four of these to the body before you do, before you get a chance to even get on my hips. If you take me down, I'll figure out how to get back up because I'm not terrible on the ground. He's not the best, but he's not the worst. Um, his hands look great. Something that the that the commentary didn't pick up on was Jalen Turner was throwing a lot of, you know, twos and threes, three punch combinations. And he was throwing combinations that looked good, but a lot of them were kind of rolling off Hooker. Hooker does eat a lot of shots. He doesn't have the best head movement. But a lot of these combinations were missing, but Hooker was countering him in between the offbeat. And it was kind of cool. Hooker was able to do this through the whole fight, but it only, you know, gathered momentum. But if Turner is striking, bomb, 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 bomb. Hooker is hitting him right in between that, right in between his rhythm, stopping his rhythm multiple times. Hooker was actually countering pretty well off the back foot. Every time Turner would throw any combination more than two punches, between that second and third punch, Hooker was slipping in a shot off the back foot and countering him. He snapped Jalen Turner's head back multiple times. There was a moment, um, I believe it was in the first round, where um, Turner kind of buzzed Hooker. Hooker took the back foot, and he threw a two-punch combination. And right between the first and the second punch, right on the offbeat, just cracked him, counter, um, snapped Turner's head back. In the second round, Turner... The first round was very close. I think Turner probably won that round. However, I, I do think it was probably closer than the commentary made it believe. Hooker did do some good things in that round. Um, Hooker's kicks were really good in that round. Hooker's body punching was pretty good in this fight, too. Um, Turner's body kicks were just fucking... That's like his best strike is his just stabbing, spearing teep kick to the body. Um Second round, Turner's having a lot of success with his hands. He's clearly found his range. He's chopping Hooker up with that body kick. And then he switches to a head kick. He didn't throw many head kicks in this fight, but the one he did smashed Hooker in the freaking face. Hooker goes reeling back, and they start brawling. like It was like the Dustin Poirier-Hooker fight all over again. Um, they start brawling against the cage. Turner's just clipping up Hooker. A lot of dudes stayed really composed that night when they were taking tons of damage. Um, I'm just surprised and kind of happy for Hooker to make that turnaround in this far in his career because this is the most composed he's looked under fire in a really, really long time. Um, and he's taken some freaking beatings, this guy. But good vision, stayed composed, clips Clips Turner with an overhand. I think it was an overhand left, maybe. Um, eh, probably you're right. Clips him with an overhand either way. Sends Turner reeling back against the octagon, and then Hooker starting to go to work, crushing him with crushing him with power combos, big hooks, and then gets the takedown. Finishes the round with Turner taking his back. Rear naked choke sunk in. You could see Turner's eyes. He looked like he saw a freaking ghost. And 
literally saved by the bell. Hooker comes out, takes him down in the third round, um, and just lands the better shots. At this point, Turner's tired. He's clipping him up with shots that are hurting him. Turner is still having moments in the fifth round. Adelaide Bird scored the fifth round for Turner. I believe it was Adelaide Bird. Um, someone scored the fifth round for Turner, which is just terrible. You could score rounds one and two for Turner. I could see that. Round two was close. I think Hooker, even though Hooker took a shit ton of damage in the second round, I still think he edged that second round out. Fifth round is clearly Hooker's in my book. Um, really, really close fight. Um, again, split decision. Really good fight. God, that was just an, an incredible one, guys. Go back and watch that one. Go back and watch this whole card. Um, th- there was the record for more, most um, sub-one-minute finishes in modern MMA history, four sub-one-minute finishes, just a ton of great shit from, from beginning to end. And then I'm not going to break down the volkanovsky Yair Rodriguez fight because I'm sure everyone else did, but Volk looked great. Volk is the champ. He's a bad mother effer. I don't know who's going to beat that dude. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be Ilya Taporia. I don't know if – I don't know who's going to beat that guy. He looks great. Shout out to him too. All right, everyone, wrapping up out with the old, our first segment of the show, we're going to go ahead and move on to our second and middle segment of the show called What's Hot. Here, I like to discuss hot topics in MMA, and this week's hot topic is heavyweights, UFC heavyweights, Stipe Miocic versus John Jones. John Jones will be defending his heavyweight title. I think he is the number one pound-for-pound ranked fighter on the UFC's list. That'll probably change when the rankings and all that come out tomorrow, which is the 11th, the day that you guys will hear this, um, versus the greatest heavyweight of all time, probably the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, one of them. I mean, Stipe is in the top three of greatest heavyweights of all time in MMA, probably. And it's John Mother Effin Jones. This is a huge fight. Some people are kind of throwing shade on this because Stipe is coming off of a a pretty vicious knockout loss to Francis Ngannou. And John Jones has only beaten Cyril Gaon. But who gives a shit? Because this is Stipe Miocic versus John Jones. Um, The odds are out there somewhere. Um, I don't have them here, unfortunately, for you guys, so I'm sorry. Um, if you if you want to pull them up, you can put them in the comments. Um, either way, this is a great fight. I'm going to assume that the odds are probably around minus 240 for John Jones. Um, he should be a pretty big favorite, but this is a really, really good fight. Um, a guy like Stipe in his prime could definitely give John Jones a lot of problems with the boxing which is kind of like John Jones's weakest point. Um, Stipe is also a pretty good grappler, pretty good wrestler. Um, DC had success to get success against him, but he could, you know, stay safe. And John Jones is definitely much bigger than DC is not weight wise, but limb wise and body wise, he's definitely a bigger dude than DC. I don't know how much stronger he is. He's probably just as strong, if not a little bit stronger than DC. Um, and, and Stipe's beat everyone that matters at heavyweight. Wins over Francis, even though he lost to Francis. He's beaten Francis and Ganu. Not many dudes have done that. Um, don't call the Derek Lewis fight a win. Um, beat DC twice, knocked him out once. 
and then kind of just outclassed him in the third fight, did get knocked out. Um, I don't think John Jones is going to come out here and knock out Stipe. I think at heavyweight, John Jones's mission is to be a grappler, and I don't blame him for it because he's good at it and he's big, and there's not a lot of good wrestlers at heavyweight. Um, for Stipe, Stipe again can kind of do everything. He's definitely a better boxer than John Jones, maybe not a better all around striker. Um, Stipe has a really weird body type. He has like the same leg length of Max Holloway, even though he's a six foot four heavyweight. And if you look at him, you really look at him. He's kind of got some kind of tiny little legs. He's inter- interesting build on that guy. Um, we know John Jones is huge, longest reach in the UFC. And John Jones likes to use that. He's going to probably press a teep kick, kicking, body kicking game against Stipe and then try to wrestle him. And I could see Stipe just really trying to box with John Jones. I think that's his best thing that he can do in a fight like this. Um, This is a legacy fight either way. And I think both, I think both guys are going to retire after this win, lose or draw. Um, Let me take a sip of water. Sorry. Um, I could see John Jones wanting a rematch if he loses, almost certainly. Um, but if Stipe loses, I think he's done. And I don't even know if Stipe would give him the rematch. I think he might just take this last fight and go, especially a payday like John Jones. Um, Stipe is a former champion, pretty big name. Definitely not a big name like John Jones, but there's no way he's not going to probably weasel his way into some pay-per-view points, even though they're probably going to be tiny. He's probably going to earn something. Um, This is a huge fight, and I'm glad I love Stipe's walkout. I don't love Machine Gun Kelly or anything like that, but I love Stipe's walkout, just the whole vibe of his walkout. I love that walkout. I'm happy to hear that one more time. I'm happy Stipe's coming back. I'm happy he's not coming back and facing a dude like Sergey Pavlovich, who, yes, John Jones is dangerous. He's the baddest man on the planet. But, like, Sergey Pavlovich would hurt you way worse than a fight than John Jones probably would if you lose a fight the way you lose against Sergey Pavlovich. Um, getting your head squeezed off in a, in a front headlock is not nearly as bad as eating, like, an eight-punch combination where the last one sends you to God. <laughs> so, yeah, either way, this fight's freaking awesome. Um, there's no analysis that I can give on it just yet. That's the most I can give. This is going to be a great fight for these guys. Big payday for both of them. Um, and yeah, we all want to see Jones fight Sergey Pavlovich, but this is it. Sergey is going to be around a while. Curtis Blades is gone. Jalton Almeida is coming up. You know, there's Tom Aspinall's fighting Marcin Tybura. Sergey Pavlovich is going to fight for the vacant UFC heavyweight title within a year from today. I promise you guys that this fight's going to happen, I believe, in December. Um, this fight's going to happen in December. The only thing that would stop Sergey fighting in a year is if Stipe wins and he actually grants John Jones a rematch. But I could just see, you know, I could see this really being both of these guys' fights. John Jones has talked about it. John Jones has talked about legacy. And if he, if John Jones beats Stipe Miocic, John Jones is not dumb, and there's no way he would risk his legacy against someone like Sergey Pavlovich. Too dangerous, not well enough known, and I wouldn't freaking blame him for it. And if he beats Stipe Miocic, he goes, he goes away as the number one greatest fighter of all time, and there would probably just be no disputes at all. 
Um, and if Stipe beats John Jones, he's beaten DC twice, beaten a lot of good dudes. He'd have an argument for one of the greatest of all time as well. Either way, freaking amazing fight. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and move on to the final segment of the show called In With The New. This weekend we have at the Apex an amazing card. Holly Holm versus Myra Buonasova. That's at the top of the card. That's the event. Um, and we just got notice of this. About I, I waited to the very last minute to record this because I was waiting for this to see if it was going to get get dropped. I heard that there was a fight being prepared for Jack Della Maddalena. His opponent fell off last week off the 290 card. He stayed in Vegas, and they were able to find him a short notice replacement on six days. Um, Basil Hafez is his opponent's name. Trains out of Pennsylvania. Um, I looked for odds. I looked for odds right up until about 30 minutes ago, and I couldn't find any. Um, so I'm sorry, guys. I, I was not able to find odds for this fight. It just, I mean, this got just released an hour ago. Um, I'm going to assume Jack Della Maddalena is a pretty big favorite, but Basil Hafez doesn't seem to be terrible. I think he's better than his prior short notice opponent. This fight's also going to be contested at 170 pounds. That might change through the week. Um, this may get moved up to middleweight bout. Hafez isn't the biggest dude, but he's fought most of his career um, at welterweight. And he's coming in on six days' notice. Jack Della Maddalena is going to have to cut weight again for the second time in a, in a week. And he's not the biggest dude, but he's definitely not small. Like, this is not a Colby Covington-type weight cut down to welterweight. Um, JDM, if you're listening to the show, you you know who Jack Della Maddalena is. Great boxing. Probably some of the best boxing in the UFC. Slick counterpunching. Really, really good on really, really good with getting his combos off. Good footwork. He knows how to cut the cage off well. Good power punching as well. Um, I really like Jack Della Maddalena. He is very, very good. Um, and his last time out against Randy Brown, he showed, you know, he showed that he has submission abilities. He club and sub Randy Brown. He I wouldn't say he had difficulties, but I would say he's probably making his reads. And Randy Brown got a lot of offense off on him. But the second Jack Della Maddalena was able to walk him to the cage. He kind of used good footwork to pressure Randy Brown against the cage. Randy Brown tried to cut an angle. Um, Jack Della Maddalena cut the angle, leaped him with the hook, dropped him. Randy Brown kind of face planted, did a very awkward fall. And then he, you know, hopped on a submission. Great. That was a good win. That was his like major step up. You know, we all had an eye on him, but that rear naked choke was really, really impressive. Before that, he knocked out Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts is going to get knocked out by a lot of guys in the UFC. Um, also, his knockout against Ramazan Amiv, where he showed to have the ability to stay smart, even in bad you know, bad positions on the ground. He showed that he does have at least good enough defensive grappling against someone like Ramazan Amiv, where he can you know, face adversity, come back, and still get the knockout. And it's not like you know, knockout happened in the first two and a half minutes of the first round of that fight before that was Pete Rodriguez. That was his, uh, debut. Pete, Pete Rodriguez is probably not for the UFC and he, he since fought at lightweight, took a short notice and, and kind of got splattered. Um, and then he, he looked good in the contender series against Angelusa and Angelusa is not bad before that. He, you know, he's a guy that's, he's a guy that's 
14 and two, but he's on a 14 fight win streak. He lost his very first two fights and has won every single one and finished basically all of them. Is it all of them besides one? Yeah. All of his fights besides all of his wins besides one have been via finish. Um, he's really good. He's a killer. Jack Della Madalena is awesome. Um, but so Hafez, I, I did as much tape study as I could, but I really, this card is a really, really weak card. And I was only going to break down two fights for you guys. Um, if this didn't get announced, that's kind of how weak it is, unfortunately, in my opinion. Um, what do we expect coming off of an A-plus card like 290? Um, Basil Hafez, he took off He took off this, the whole year in 2019, which I, I find a little bit strange. Um, he's 31, so he's in the prime of his career. Um, he's He won... He won the CFFC title via triangle. I know he has multiple nogis that he's competed in. Um, he's got to win a split decision win over Anthony Ivey, who I'm not going to call him a UFC vet because he doesn't have a win in the UFC, but he fought in the UFC twice and lost um, both times. He also has a draw against Jeremiah Wells, um, a split draw. <laughs> that was back in 2017 in C- CFFC. He's fought, you know, he's had a lot of his fights in CFFC, um, even his first like amateur bout was in CFFC. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six fights in CFFC. He's fought Evan cuts twice. Evan cuts is a guy that doesn't have a losing, doesn't have a losing record and was a champ there. Um, he, his recently, his most recent fight, he beat Evan cuts via third round KO. Um, and that was back in February 17th of this year. And he doesn't have the most tremendous record. He's he's eight and three, and he definitely seems to be more of a BJJ guy for sure. Um, just from you know his nogi stuff and his nogi training and sorry his nogi competitions and all that stuff. Um, I'm gonna assume Jack Della Madeleine is gonna be a really big favorite, but for the little bit that we know about Basil Hafez, he was kind of hard for me to find tape on. But he doesn't seem bad. You know, he's got knockout power. He's got, you know, he definitely has some finishes. He he likes to submit people, but he can also knock people out. He's got armbar submissions. He's got rear naked chokes. He's got kimuras. He's got triangles. Um, so he can kind of do it all when it comes to grappling. That seems to be his thing. Um, again, Jack, Jack Della Madalena, JDM, is probably going to be a big favorite, probably around minus 600. Um Either way, this is a reason to tune into this card. Great fight. Um, I love Jack Delamedalena. He's a pleasure to watch. Any he's any analyst's dream to watch if you you know you like violence and you like MMA. Um, speaking of violence, moving on to the next fight, we got Terrence McKinney versus Sadiakov. Um, Terrence McKinney comes in as an underdog here. Nazim Sadiakov is the minus one forty five favorite. Terrence McKinney comes back at plus. 125 and this is a good ass fight it's probably the best fight on the card um everyone here probably knows about terrence mckinney he he's definitely a fun guy his style is is super 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 explosive um you know last time out he, he was a pretty decent favorite against ismail bonfim and got knocked out via flying knee um that was a really hard 
knockout for him too was kind of towards the back of the head on the neck and he's kind of getting beat up a little bit in that fight i love terrence mckinney um we both are from the same area as well i'm not from here i live here we both live in the same area as well um and he, he's a really good kid super super exciting um Terrence McKinney's a good grappler. He's an underrated grappler. He's got good submissions. He's a really explosive athlete. Um, his his debut knocking out Matt Frivola in seven seconds, just a straight one two, pop, pop, really quick, kind of a you know offbeat where he throws a jab and then just fires the fires the shot right behind it. Um, just drops just drops Frivola, hurts him right away. Submission against Ferris Ziem, that was a good performance. Um, Drew Dober, he anybody else would have been knocked out if it wasn't Drew Dober in their fight. Had Drew Dober on Queer Street multiple times in the first round. Drew Dober comes back and finishes him. Terrence McKinney is just a blood and guts, all violence, super action guy. Comes out and beats uh, Eric Gonzalez, Ghost Pepper, just hunts him down on the feet, hurts him, gets a, gets a submission where a naked choke. And he kind of looked a little, I don't want to say he looked off against um, Bonfim, but I definitely don't think he fought to his fullest potential. Bonfim is good, even though Bonfim just lost his last fight. Um, Bonfim is still really good. And I don't know what the cap is for Terrence McKinney, um, but I think he could potentially beat a dude like Bonfim if he if he just goes after it. Terrence McKinney's thing is to just go after it. He, he's super explosive. Probably one of the fastest athletes in this division, if not the fastest top three. He's just got so much super explosive athleticism. But again, I think his wrestling is is pretty underrated. Um, moving to the favorite, uh, Nazim Sadiakov. Last fight, made his UFC debut, and... One against Evan Elder via D- TKO Dr. Stoppage. He threw like a head kick. I just watched the fight a little bit ago again. This is a great fight, barn burner, like fight of the night type fight. Um, he threw a head kick and then caught Evan Elder in the eyebrow and blew up and blew up Evan Elder's eyebrow. He threw the punt. He threw the kick. Sorry. He threw the strike. It was deliberate. Cut him open. Doctors went and looked at it. Stopped it right away. I remember Dana White posting a picture of this too. I believe it was on his Twitter, and his eye, Evan Elder's eye looked jacked up. This was a freaking brawl, and Evan Elder is way better than his short UFC career might might show. Um, Sadiakov comes from a good camp. Um, in that fight, he had Ray Longo and Matt Favola in his corner. He's a, he's a Sarah Longo guy. Um, he loves to keep was catching a lot of kicks. Terrence McKenney loves to throw head kicks. Big snapping fast kicks are part of his game. That's something he likes to do. Um, and Nazim Sadiakov is a southpaw fighter. He has got a good jab. He likes to punch the body. And he's got good pressure. That's He's got really good pressure. I think he's going to go out and try to put pressure on Terrence McKinney right away. Um he dropped Evan Elder, but then also got hurt and dropped himself in the first round of their fight. Um, Evan Elder had a lot of success going to the body, but I think Evan Elder is probably a little bit better of a boxer than Terrence McKinney. Um, Evan Elder is definitely just probably a less wild type of guy. Definitely not as athletic or fast as Terrence McKinney, but definitely probably just a cleaner boxer. Had a lot of success. Um Sadiakov also had a lot of success in that fight. His his footwork was really, really good. His jab looked good in this fight. Um, 
he can wrestle too. He can scramble. And he seems to be a guy that listens to his corner. Um, I think he's definitely hittable. And I could see Terrence McKenney definitely trying to catch him with something. I think Terrence McKenney should try to wrestle this guy, though. Evan Elder was able to get takedowns on him. Evan Elder is a good wrestler, but I don't think he's the wrestler or the athlete of Terrence McKenney. Um, Terrence McKenney is a he's all of his fights have just been like one round in the UFC. Um, so I could I could totally see um, I could totally see his only fight that's gone out of the first round in the UFC was against Bonfim, but. I could totally see him, you know, getting takedowns, doing the right thing, but still getting caught with something because Sadia Kopp seems to be super tough and durable. There was so many shots that Elder landed on him that he kind of just walked through or, you know, he did get dropped, but nothing seemed to be really super impactful. Um, I have a hard time with this fight because I really like Terrence McKinney and I know that if Evan Elder can hurt Sadia Cobb, I don't see why Terrence McKinney can't. Um, it is the route. The odds are really close. And if this fight goes further into the rounds, if this fight starts the third round, you probably have to favor Nazim Sadia Cobb. Um, I think I'm, and I don't know who I'm going to pick. I have notes on both of these guys here. Here, here are my notes. They're chicken scratchy, but here are my notes. Um, but I don't have a pick. And I think I'm going to go with Terrence McKinney. And I think he can catch him the same way that Evan Elder caught him. But Terrence McKinney's also not as durable as Evan Elder. And Terrence McKinney gets hurt and finished in a lot of his fights. Um, I think the smartest way for Terrence McKinney to win is to grapple, but I don't know if he's going to do it. I think he's going to come out like a house on fire, especially since he just lost the fight and he's been tweeting like, Hey, I'm the underdog bet some money on me. And that's how Terrence McKinney is. He's a killer be killed dude. I'm going to go the underdog pick. Mind you, I got all my picks wrong last week, I think, which is not a good look, but I didn't bet. So I didn't lose anything. Um, Gonna go Terrence McKinney is the plus one twenty five underdog, but this fight is a literal crapshoot. But I can promise you guys one thing: it's gonna be a hell of a fight. This is my fight of the night. That's why I threw it on here. Um, and then the last fight I want to break down with you guys is gonna be the main event: Holly Holm versus Myra Buena Silva. Holm's a small favorite. She's coming in at minus one forty three. Myra Buena Silva's coming back at plus one twenty three. Those are the First odds that I saw, so I just threw them down on the paper. I'm sure they'll probably shift or, you know, be up or down a little bit by the end of the week. Mind you, this is Monday the 10th that I'm recording this. You guys will be listening to it on Tuesday probably um, or even later on in the week. And Holly Holm is in her 40s. She just signed another contract with the UFC, and I think this is the first fight on her new three-fight deal. Um, She's 41 and I don't think it matters in this division with someone with her physicality and her athleticism and the skills that she has for MMA. What my whistle. I don't think her being 41 matters with the game that she plays. She kind of plays an old man's game. Um, Mater Buena Silva. Um, she's an explosive athlete. 
and she's coming up from 125. You know, there are fights on her record that I don't like in a fight against Holly Holm, but I definitely think she's the more, she's definitely the more, I'm not going to say the more powerful fighter because Holly Holm definitely is probably going to be stronger and bigger. Mind you, Myra Buenasilva is coming up from 125 and she has fought at 125 in the past. Holly Holm has, has fought at featherweight prior um, and Holly Holm is big. She's very strong and very muscular. But I'm going to say Mara Bonasova is a harder puncher for sure. She's definitely the faster puncher, definitely faster hands than Holly Holm. I know Holly Holm has, comes from a boxing background, but Holly Holm does not rely on her boxing in 2023 in MMA. Holly Holm is a swinging, cling, cage-controlled fighter. That is what she does. She is a Jackson Wink fighter in 2023. She wants to press people on the cage. She wants to hit you in the clinch with elbows and punches and get a lot of cage control. Can she fight at range? I do believe she can. She is a very, she's just a very controlling fighter at this stage of her career. That is her thing. She does not, she's, she's not going to go out there and head kick Mara Buenasova. It's not going to look like the Ronda Rousey fight. That's just not her game anymore. Her grappling, her topside grappling, her takedowns have evolved so much and her cage control. She's just so strong. She knows how to negate people's games and negate damage. And that's just important. And she just wins fights. Holly Holm seems to be a big enough star too, to where she doesn't have to be exciting to have fans anymore. The crowd still cheers for her when she comes out and we all know what she's going to do. Um, Mara Bonasova is definitely, um, I would say a little bit more of a, a chasing finisher type of girl. Um, you know, she has, multiple arm bars. That's her thing. She's got knee bar wins her last fight out. She knee bar Lena Landsberg after kind of beating the shit out of her, just bludgeoning her um, losses on her record. Like minor Moreau's like a fight, like a loss like that in 2020 freaks me out. Getting a draw against Montana De La Rosa in 2021 is not a good look. And then, you know, beating Manon Furo or losing to Manon Furo right after that, that year, like 2021 was not a good look and a good, year for Meyer Buenasova. She beat the shit out of Wu Yanan when she kind of started this run up here at Bantamweight. Stephanie Egger fight was really weird. That was like the phantom tap one. And then again, she just beat the crap out of Lena Landsberg. So this is a big step up competition wise for someone that, you know, you look at the records, you look at the records and you remove the names you know, if it's not Holly Holman, it's not Myra Buenasilva. And you just look at the records, you'd assume that Holly Holm would probably be a three to one favorite here. But again, Myra Buenasilva is big and strong. She's super, you know, she's super, super tough. I'm going to think this fight's going to look like that Ketlin Vieira fight where Holly Holm lost via split decision, but a lot of people thought she won. Um, it, it could look a lot like the Raquel Pennington fight. It's probably going to look like the Ana Santos fight. It's probably going to look at like the Irena Aldana fight. And these are probably how Holly Holm's fights are going to look moving forward. Um, the question is, can Holly Holm just negate the damage and get the control that she wants? We know that Myra Buenasova is an active guard player off her back. She will play jujitsu if you let her. Um, and I think that could be a potentially dangerous place for Holm. But I think that's safer than just swinging in the pocket with her. Holly Holm is, you know, fairly durable unless she gets kicked in the head by Amanda Nunes. Um, 
but I think any, you know, unless your name's Dan Hooker, anyone that kicks you in the head, flush, it's going to freaking put you on skates. Um, but I don't think Holly Holm can just hang out in the pocket and brawl with her. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think she'd want to just get in there and really just let her hands fly trading two, three, four punch combinations. I don't think that's going to be the game. I think we're going to get a lot of outside jabs from home, a lot of home closing the distance, a lot of home trying to land shots on the clinch break. That's her thing. And I think Mara Buenasola is going to have to try to clip her up. Um, I went into this fight leaning towards Mara Buenasola, but now that I'm breaking it down, I'm going to go with Holly Holm. I'm going to go with the veteran. I don't think age matters at women's bantamweight. It's women's bantamweight, you know, this is the equivalent of men's hem- of men's heavyweight and maybe worse, um, probably worse as far as, you know, who's there and what's going on there skill-wise. Um, Going to go with Holly Holm. Again, I think Holm can just eat her best shots, take her against the cage, control her. I think she can just outbox her with a jab and kick her a little bit, but I just don't think that she – Holly Holm is risk averse. She wants to win fights. She just signed a three fight. She just signed a three fight contract. Amanda Nunes is gone. Whoever wins this fight will probably be contesting for the for the vacant women's bantamweight belt, especially if it's Holly Holm and probably Mara Buenasilva because if she gets a scalp on her wall like Holly Holm, then you earn a title shot in my opinion. Um, so yeah, this fight has title implications. Does it have title implications for probably the worst division in the UFC? One could argue that, but there's still title implications. Winner of this probably fights Raquel Pennington or Juliana Pena. And um, I guess that's a big fight. Not the best card, quite honestly. There's a couple other good names on this card. Evan Elder's on this card, and I like Evan Elder, especially after I rewatched his fight with uh, Nazim Sadiakov. So I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, but either way, we got a couple more good cards coming up, and then we have a pay-per-view at the end of the year that's going to be a freaking banger. That's all for the show, guys. I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. UFC 290 was badass. This card coming up is not as badass, but it is still high-level MMA. Hope you guys tune in. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the fights.